Welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. The Small Business Horsepower podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pandora, number of other places, Podbean, including our website, smallbusinesshorsepower.com. I think you're going to love the show today. First of all, this is our 20th episode, and my first guest, who's based overseas, Alvin Poe, he's from Singapore, the Republic of Singapore, and I think you're going to enjoy his story. Alvin, welcome to the program today on Small Business Horsepower. Thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Uh, It's great. It's our pleasure to have you. Alvin, tell us your background. I mean, I was doing a little research. Here you are, 17 years old. You start a company and take it to $30 million by age 33 or 34. Give us the backstory, how you got started, how you got into the business, and then what kind of business you built and how you took it to $30 million. Sure. Yeah. That's a real good question. Like when I was a kid, to give you context, I didn't come from a very well off family. You know, my parents, they just gave me enough to survive. They paid for like recess. They gave me recess money for for food in school. Uh, They gave me money for the bus ride, but that's about it. So if I wanted to hang out with my friends, if I wanted to go like, you know, go to a restaurant together, or if I wanted to buy the latest video game, I've got to find the money myself. So from a young age, I've always been very entrepreneurial, even though at that point of time, I didn't didn't even know what that word meant. I just basically found ways to make money. And, you know, I remember one of the games that we used to play as kids, um, was this game, like, have you watched Squid Game by any chance? No, I haven't watched that one. Um, so it's an interesting TV series that's been really popular for some reason. One of the games that is in Squid Game is the characters play this Korean game that, that has you f- try to flip, I think it was just like a piece of folded paper. It's what I did as a kid. But instead of paper, we used erasers. And these were country flag erasers. They were like little tiny erasers that had country flags printed on them. And the objective of the game was to flip your eraser so that you will land on top of your opponents. And in doing so, you would win that eraser and you'd be able to add it to your collection. It was such a popular game. We were playing it all the time, in between lessons, even during lessons. And one day, I I found out that the bookstore in my neighborhood actually sold erasers for a lower price than the school's bookstore. And that was the first time I discovered the concept of arbitrage. And what I did was to buy boxes of erasers and then bring them to school so that I could sell them to my classmates. And I made a profit from that. It, it wasn't millions, but you know, it was enough for me to buy a snack at the school canteen. And you know, I think it just started that journey of mine where I just discovered entrepreneurship and, and all that, right? At 14, that was when my family got you know, our first computer and I spent all my time on it. My, my dad was a salesman, so he needed a computer to do like his paperwork. But when he wasn't using a computer, I was. 
And I loved it. I did everything on it. One of the software that I used a lot was MIRC. It was a chat software. So with that chat software, I discovered how to program. I discovered how to do graphics design and all those things. So much so that one of my relatives, they actually approached me you know, for help with their business website, with their company website. At that point in time, the internet was just beginning and you know they just wanted me to help with that yeah let's go so yeah so you they wanted to help with the website and then you help them with the website and then uh yeah and it blew my mind it was like the the first time somebody wanted to pay me for my services this was when i was about 14 years old so like i think that concept never happened never was in my mind before but you know it wasn't much it was a token sum but because of that i discovered that i could be a freelance web designer and i went around looking for more and more projects and more and more clients to serve one day in school i i met uh this guy that you know turned out to be my business co-founder again i didn't know it at that time but we had a great working relationship in school together. We partnered up for like, you know, school projects and like did our assignments together and all of those things, right? So that uh, when it came to the school holidays, we were actually very comfortable with each other, the, the way that, you know, we worked and our work ethic. So we actually decided to go into business together and we went into web design. So that actually was the start of the business uh, that I eventually sold. Um, we were a web design agency. And over the years, we actually pivoted. We pivoted to specialize only in web hosting. And we did that for the 17 years, growing it all the way to finally exiting at $30 million. And what was that? You sold it to Dreamscape or something? That was what, uh, Vo Vodian Internet Solutions? Yeah. So the company that we ran was called Vodian. Vodian.com is still around, but it got acquired by Dreamscape. Dreamscape is a Australian company and they were looking at Southeast Asia. Singapore was one of the countries that they were looking at. And at that point in time, Vodian was the, the market leader. It was the biggest in Singapore. So it was an obvious choice. And they approached us. We liked them. They liked us. And the acquisition happened. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Did you find them? They found you. And how did they find you, this dreamscape? At that point in time, that space was super hot. Every This was pre-COVID. This was like in 2017. And every quarter, there would be a, an event in Singapore. Singapore is like a hub of Southeast Asia. And every quarter, there will be an event there. It will be either a cloud computing event or a hosting conference or an internet business you know, summit or, or whatever it is, right? But every single time there will be an international event in Singapore, we will get people just coming over and knocking on our doors. You know, it's the same thing, right? Where people, people travel for events and they you know, survey the landscape and see who's, who they can have a conversation with. And we had a lot of offers from people, people from the, from the United States, from Europe, from Japan, from uh, Australia as well, from New Zealand. Um, but we never really were comfortable with anyone until Dreamscape came along. What was that differentiation? What made you comfortable with Dreamscape? And then why did you ultimately end up selling it to them? So there's a difference between acquirers. The difference is that 
when you are an acquirer, you come from mainly like two different camps. One is that you come from a pure financial perspective where you're looking at numbers. Everything is looked at in terms of a return of investment. If you put in like this amount of money, you're looking for a return in three years, five years, where you double or triple or, or you know, 5x your money. That was a case for most of the people that approached us. A lot of them were private equity funds, venture capitalists, and they were just looking at things from a financial perspective. Dreamscape was different because they were an operator as well. Dreamscape is a holding company, but their operating brand was Crazy Domains. And Crazy Domains grew from nothing to being the top in Australia as well. Very similar stories from uh, as, like with Vodian. And that made us very comfortable with them. So when we spoke, we even discovered that our offices were like literally like beside each other. We had an office in the Philippines. So that office that we had, it was literally beside each other. Not, not door to door, but like the building that we were in were like next to each other. We could see each other from across the street. That was incredible. So we felt very comfortable with them. We felt like, you know, there was like a lot of resonance with them. So that got us comfortable enough to proceed with the deal. Yeah, a lot of synergy there, it looks like then. I'll tell you though, I, I, I love Singapore, but I'll tell you, I got to tell you this. You know, the first time I went to Singapore, you fly 12, 13 hours. This was like in the 90s. And you get off the airplane, right? And your head is spinning and you're going to go to Orchard Road or something like that. And here you get in a taxi. And at that time, they didn't want the cars to speed. So what they would do is they would put a ding dong on the car. So like if the car is going fast, it would go ding dong, ding dong. So now here I get in a taxi, I'm going to Orchard Road for the first time. I'm in the beautiful country of Singapore and the car, the taxi's going ding dong. But you know, the taxi driver, he needs to earn money. So he's rushing uh, there anyway. So you're gonna need, now I think later they took that ding dong out of first the taxis because they were gonna drive the tourists away. But, but I mean, and then I asked the taxi driver what's going on and he says welcome to Singapore it's a fine city there's fines everywhere you know so I'm looking at Singapore going in the context of business in one way you love it because they have all the traders there they realize they're a small island uh, country that so they gotta take the business to Indonesia Malaysia Philippines but at the same time you look at that government and say okay they can control everything you know so I want is it is it hard to do business or the government wants the traders so they make it easy to do business uh, when you're building to that 30 million? It was just a question in my mind, you know? I think Singapore has built up a reputation since, since the 90s to be a very pro-business state. I remember when I first started my business at the age of 17, you couldn't even like start a business at 17 because you were too young. You couldn't incorporate a business. You couldn't create a bank account for the business. And so I had, to, I had to get my dad to do all of that for me. These days, you can. And these days, people are starting businesses from like, I don't know, like I have teenage 
entrepreneurs who are running businesses in Singapore. And I think the landscape is so pro-business that it's so easy for someone to just like start a business and, you know, be supported in that way as well. Like in terms of, you know, incorporation, in terms of the policies, the regulations, you know, even as things like the, the bank account and payments and all that, it's all so pro-business these days. I think we've come a long way from like having that ding dong in the car. I, I remember that when I was a kid as well, right? And and I think that's like a, it's a nice remnant of the past, but we've come so far from that. And if there's anything, I think Singapore has recognized that, I mean, we are a small country. If we don't be pro-business, there's, there's no one else. There's no nothing else that we can rely on. There are no re- natural resources. We don't have oil. We don't have uh, minerals nothing, right? So it's all a very, very pro-entrepreneurial like country. That is great. Let's get to what you're doing now. I read a little bit about you in the background and after you sold it, you had some fun. You traveled the world for a couple of years and you went to Iowa, you went to Mongolia and you did this and you did that. I, I heard all about it. But then you came back. Uh, you have a fantastic book, which we'll get to, but it's really about you know scaling a business and there's some key questions that I got out of that, you know, reviewing yeah. your profile and so on. So let me ask the first one here. What do entrepreneurs need to focus on in, in order to scale up properly as that's your expertise now, scaling, super scaling or scaling up? Right. So when I was traveling in that two years after the acquisition, I had a lot of people approach me for mentorship and advice but I never had experience in that area. I was never a mentor nor proper advisor. And so when people approached me for advice, I, I found myself at a loss. I'm a very systematic, very logical person. And so when someone asks me a question like, you know, how do I scale my business? How do I, how do I grow my business? How do I build a team? Or what's wrong with my team? How come I'm not able to retain people or to grow people? Or how come people are leaving my team? You know, all these questions are very common questions that businesses ask. But when I hear that th- those questions, I am at a loss because I don't know how to answer those questions. I don't know their context. I don't know their situation. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what they've tried. I don't know what they didn't try. And that literally was what got me very interested in coming up with a framework. So the book that I wrote is based on the framework called the 5E scale engine. It took me about six to nine months, literally codifying all the knowledge and experiences in my mind onto paper. And you asked about, you know, what was the thing that, you know, entrepreneurs lacked. I I think that I went through that whole journey myself. Like when I tried to come up with a framework, I was purely looking at the business side of things. I was looking at, you know, what a business needs, what kind of uh, vision they require, what kind of communication structure, proper business needs, what kind of organizational structure has to be in place and all those things, right? So much so that I came up with four principles about it. And I was looking at it, talking to clients, bouncing it off people. And I realized that something, something else was lacking. And that was when I realized that I can't, solely look at the business because one very essential part of the whole equation is the entrepreneur. The person who runs the business, the business owner, he has to change as well. And I know that because when I looked at my own entrepreneurial journey, who I was 
when I was 17 versus who I was when I was like 27 versus who I am right now when I'm 37 are vastly different. Like the things that I go through in my mind, the things that I know, the beliefs that I have, they shape me and my decisions. And so when I look at, you know, advising and mentoring and coaching businesses, one of the things that I want to make sure of also is that the entrepreneur has the right thought processes, has the right mindsets, has the right beliefs. Because if they don't, then it is very hard for them to scale their business. And that's how I came up with the five principles uh, of the 5 E scale engine. Right, which is evolve, envision, empower, engage, and execute. So tell me a little bit about each one here. So evolve is the very first principles. These principles are in sequence, they are in order. So the very first thing that we need to look at is the entrepreneur. That's the principle of evolve. We look at what kind of beliefs they have, you know, especially limiting beliefs. We look at their thought processes. We look at the concepts they, that they must embrace before they can actually look at super scaling their business. The second principle is envision. You know, that's where we start to see a shift, a melt between the entrepreneur and the business. And vision covers the business vision, the business model, how we communicate that uh, in a structured manner so that we are very clear about it individually and also create a structure in which like that vision can be understood by other people, like the people on our team. Because if not, then nobody's on the same page. It's very hard to run an organization like that. And then that brings us to our third principle, which is empower. Empower is all about the business organization, the team that you have, the people in it. A lot of times that is the most talked about principle because businesses have a lot of problems with human resource. They have a lot of problems attracting the right kind of people. They have a lot of problems retaining the right kind of people and even growing or terminating people, right? And, and so we cover all of that in Empower. We want to come up with a system so that all those things are structured, they don't cause problems, and most importantly, they can be replicated. Because if you grow a business and you try to super scale it, one of the things that you depend on is the team that you have. And you can't just hire one person and you know have that on an ad hoc basis. It has to be really systematic. So then the fourth principle is engage. Now that we have all those three principles taken care of, we look at engage because now we start looking at the customer, how the customer journeys through our business, through our funnels, it's all covered in the customer journey. And one of the main problems that businesses have is that as a business, a lot of times they focus on sales and marketing. Sales and marketing is literally like having like a bucket that, that is your your business, and then trying to collect water, that's your customers, but the bucket's leaking. So water's continually flowing out. And that is not a good way to run a business. You cannot compete with your competitors. You cannot give a good experience to your customers. And you always, always feel like you're burning out because you're just, it's almost like you're drowning and you know, you're continually like trying to grasp at straws so we try to fix that in the principle of engage. We look at the whole customer journey, not just the front, but also other aspects where we create a really, really good customer experience so that we get super high customer renewals, we get super high customer referrals, and we don't have that leaky bucket. 
And then the last principle after everything is done is when we finally look at execute. Execute is the principle of efficiency, of optimization. And my favorite analogy of this is the analogy of like me taking part in a race with Usain Bolt. Oh, you know who Usain Bolt is, right? So what if I say that I can beat Usain Bolt in a race? I don't know if you can beat him. He's very fast. <laughs> he is. He, he's the world's fastest man, right? And it will be quite a stretch to imagine anyone, especially myself, to beat him in a, in a, in a race, in a sprint. But you can. You can beat the world's fastest man. The only requirement is if the world's fastest man runs in the wrong direction. And that is typically what happens when businesses focus on the wrong things to optimize, when they focus on the wrong things to derive efficiency. And, you know, that affects a lot of businesses. And so that's why in the last principle, and it's again in sequence, we make sure that everything is taken care of first and that the business is on sound fundamentals before we look at improving efficiency and optimizing everything. That's a great point. I saw, I was listening to you on another podcast, I think Dr. Dream or some other show I was, and that question came up about standard operating procedure, reviewing your processes. I took a business from zero to $8 million and I did quite well in my career. But when I was listening to that podcast, I was saying to myself, you know, I did, because you talked about this on another podcast, that I spend a lot of time on that sales side because I love it and growing it. And I did fine. But when I listen to you, I say, you know, I should have spent even more time on processes and operating procedures and establishing that baseline because you made a great point on another podcast, which was rather than right away try to grow your business with sales, you know, take those customers and, and apply those processes and, and that culture, the vision and the setup and everything so that you can grow from inside out and then put the next log on the fire, if you will, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That is essentially what you need to super scale. Again, there are just two things that you need to super scale. It is the systems that you have in place as well as the team that supports that. So I tell my clients that one of the things that they absolutely must embrace is the concept of leverage. It's literally changing the mindset of just looking at things from like our individual selves. And then the questions are always like, how do I solve this? How do I get more sales? How do I do this? How do I do that? Right? Changing that to the question of how do we solve this? How do we do this better? How do we fix that, right? Because once we involve and use the word we, we now start to think in terms of leverage. How do we get more leverage on the resources that we have available to us? The systems, the team, right? So that's the two main like concept. That is the concept of leverage between the two differences that I continually drill in my coaching clients so that they can actually find the ability to super scale their businesses. Yeah, because that was one of the things I was going to ask you about, like, how do you retain A players on your team, especially as a small business? By the way, you're listening to Alvin Poe today from Singapore on Small Business Horsepower. We're so happy to have him. Alvin, in the time we have left, let's just go through a few quick things. How do you retain the A players on your team, especially in a small business? I think that problem came about when I realized that everyone, every business 
I'd say about 80% of them asked me the same question. How do I retain people? Not just A players, but people in general. And I realized that they were asking that coming from a place where they didn't even have an idea of what the A player wanted. In their minds, they always had this notion that, you know, as long as I pay them a salary, things are great. But that's never the case. We are all humans. We are all individuals. I have my aspirations. You have your aspirations. Anyone that we bring on board our companies have aspirations as well. And as business owners, one of the things that we need to do is to match the individual aspiration with the organizational objectives. We can't just tell people, hey, this is the job that I hired you for. Go do it. All right. They might do well for the first three months, six months, one year even. But, you know, after a while, that just dies off, right? People get bored. People want to know what's next. People want to see progress. There are three things that all employees want from their, their environment, from their business. It's meaning, it's mastery, and it's autonomy. And when I came out with these three points, it wasn't like it came out from nowhere. This stems from who we are as people, right? Even as, you know, as kids, right? When I look at my childhood, I loved having like meaning. I wanted to do the stuff that gave me purpose that I wanted to have, that I have passion for, that I wanted to do, right? I wanted to make sure that I got better at it. We play video games, we play sports, right? And we don't just stay there. We want to get better and better and better at it. Whether it's, you know, even like hiking or like, kite surfing or playing golf or tennis. We don't just want to be the same. We want to get better. Can we hit the ball faster? Can we run faster? Can we run longer? And this happens in business as well. This happens in our careers as well. People want to see change. People want to see progress. And lastly, there's autonomy also. Autonomy is all about just making sure that you are given the space and the, the freedom in which to do the things that you were hired for. Just like when we were kids, I didn't like my teachers nor my parents telling me what to do, telling me what to study, telling me what, what classes to go for. I didn't mind advice, but if it was an order or, or it was something that I was told to me to do, I, I didn't like that. That is not having autonomy. And sometimes in businesses, there's a lot of micromanaging. There's a lot of structure. There's too much structure. In which, and then businesses don't give their team members enough autonomy. And so once you look at all these three things, you can actually craft and create a company culture in which you can actually start to retain and grow the people on your team. So that's in a nutshell, how I approach the situation. And that's how I coach my clients to create that kind of organizational structure that allows people to thrive. That's great. And the other things that I was listening to you talk about is what sequence you do things in so you don't waste time spinning your wheels or, you know, you save dozens of hours of time. Because when I look back on my business, I think we did a good job. But then when you start to really analyze it, you say, you know, did we have to do all this? Like if we were more efficient, we could have done a lot more with a lot less. Let's finish with that thought what do you think about that uh for as, as a business yeah just like you know when you were when you're inside a company and you find that 
you're not efficient. So there's you were talking about how you can really drill down to being efficient in the way that sequence that you do things and how you save dozens of hours of time. You were talking about that. So that has got to do with understanding what you're trying to do, right? So that's why one of the things that you know we need to do as business owners is to really simplify everything into a process. We can't just let people do stuff on an ad hoc basis. That is great. If you have a small team, you know, and you don't really want to grow past that. But once you want to look at super scaling and getting to the next level, uh, the people that are working on the tasks they are handling need to understand that it must be systemized somehow. And that's got to do with the standard operating procedures and, you know, and that's SOPs, right? Like all uh, and the processes that I mentioned, you need to make sure that people can both understand what they are doing translate it and codify it onto paper, onto like a written form, and be also able to teach or train other people on those same things, right? With that, you can actually have that process and then you can optimize it. The way to optimize is, I use this framework called the RSAT framework, uh, A-R-S-A-D. It's an it's a acronym that basically stands for Analyze, Remove, Simplify, automate, and then delegate. I was looking at how we can you know, simplify and, and optimize processes in businesses. And we, whatever we do, that has to be the process that we follow. I thought that one of the things that we should do is to delegate. As business owners, you know, one of the things that maybe should happen is just to delegate things. But delegate should be the last thing that we do. Because we need to understand that whatever processes we have in our businesses must first be analyzed and when we look at it, we need to make sure that those processes must be there. Or they, they are essential to be there. Sometimes as the business grows, we start having processes that seem like they are essential, but are actually not. All right? This happens when you have teams running by themselves and you don't know what everyone is doing. But we need to try and understand like, what's happening. When we do that, we will. it's almost a guarantee that we will find that there's a lot of unnecessary processes or unnecessary steps or unnecessary tasks. In that case, we need to remove them. So that's why the very first thing that I talk about is uh, removal of tasks, removal of processes. Could it be something that you know uh, could be handled by another person? Could it be something that doesn't even need to be there? Could it be something that could be improved somehow? Right. So first thing that we do is to remove. The second thing that we do is to look at simplifying it. As processes grow and as work grows and as more and more people come on the team, sometimes it becomes a bit convoluted. Sometimes work is passed on to one person and then to another person. Sometimes there are layers of approval. Sometimes there are things that we do because we think it's necessary as employees. But, you know, most of the time it's not. So that's why simplification is necessary. We want to look at how we can remove certain steps and simplify things so that it's a lot smoother and it's a lot more efficient. And then we can look at automation. Automation is all about like, you know, basically making sure that we use technology to automate the tasks that are there. And finally, we can look at delegate because delegate is the stage we are at. After we've completed all of that, we know for sure that the task is optimized and now we can pass it to someone else in our organization, someone else who is better than us, someone else who, who is more suited to handle that responsibility. That's how I would do it. That is great, Alan. 
Alvin, thank you so much today for coming on our program, Small Business Horsepower Podcast. Before you go, tell our listeners where they can get your book, Super Scaling. Yeah, so this book is available on Amazon. It's also available on my website. It is The, the website is the same name. It's superscaling.com. The book is also Super Scaling. So if people want to connect with me, they can find me on my website or through social media. I'm very active on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. If they search for Alvin Poe, they'll be able to find me. Thank you so much, Alvin. We appreciate you coming on today's program. Thanks for having me. It's been super fun.